This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org/ccnyc. Thanks for listening. So, um, as I was looking at preparing for this talk, uh, I realized there was no way I could write a talk for today. Um, I just there was session last week. I had two significant responsibilities during that session. Um, I have a talk tomorrow. It uh, uh, just wasn't going to happen, um, given home and life. So my original plan was to present the talk that I had given in Sashin a few days ago. And um, that held right up until this morning. <laughs> and looking at who's here and that a number of people here have recently heard that talk. Um, I decided to go another way. Um, and so that's the name of this talk, Another Way. Uh, and it's a talk that uh, I had given before, um, uh, although it'll come out somewhat differently, because it always does. I write the talk, and then I talk. <laughs> um, but also I wanted to connect with uh, the Ango, and karma in particular, uh, which um, is a place I keep coming back to in my own practice and in my own life and in my own teachings. So, this is another way. And so this is a song, a poem. Oh, for the sake of momentum... I've allowed my fears to get larger than life, and it's brought me to my current agenda, whereupon I deny fulfillment has yet to arrive. And I know life is getting shorter. I can't bring myself to set the scene. Even when it's approaching torture, I've got my routine. Oh, for the sake of momentum, even though I agree with the, that stuff about seizing the day, but I hate to think of effort expended, all those minutes and days and hours I've, I have frittered away. And I know life is getting shorter, and I can't bring myself to set the scene. Even when it's approaching torture, I've got my routine. But I can't confront the doubts I have. I can't admit that maybe the past was bad. And so, for the sake of momentum, I'm condemning the future to death so it can match the past. Oh, for the sake of momentum, I've allowed my fears to get larger than life, and it's brought me to the current agenda whereupon I deny fulfillment has yet to arrive. So you may recognize the lyrics. It's a song by Amy Mann called Momentum. And um, 
One reason I use poetry, and in this case a contemporary, almost contemporary, a few years old, song by Amy Mann, is it so well expresses the first noble truth. I mean, here it is. It couldn't be better expressed in a way. Uh, and often poetry does that um, and sets up our life and expresses our life from that perspective uh, and you know, describes the fundamental challenges of fear, of endless desires, of suffering, overt or subtle. And of course, these are not different from the time of the Buddha to now. And so our culture reflects this in song and poetry and in spiritual practice. We still face fear. And how we live and work with our fear determines to a significant degree how well we live and how we affect others. These particular lyrics might seem extremely depressing or perhaps maybe not even relevant to your life. But what do we see when we look past our current agenda? or look at our current agenda, whatever that is. Dharma means phenomenon, a thing, an object. And to study it, to investigate it, to sit with it, to think about it, personally in the midst of Zazen, is our work. What is a thing? And of course the thing that we can most easily study, and also presents the greatest difficulty in study, is ourself, which we take as a thing. And so, we should not take lightly this study, which is centered in Zazen, but not exclusive to Zazen. I mean, in a sense, how do we get at ourself? How do we expose ourself to ourself? You know, this can be expressed in many, many ways, but how do we open our heart and let, let ourself out and let others in, so to speak? <laughs> a limited sense of ourself out. And when we let others in, that is ourself, of course. So clearly what stops us is fear. And that's in the questioning of that, and the prodding to see what's beneath it. And where does fear live and what is it, what is it about? And how does it work to infiltrate what we think, hold on to our positions? Manifest in the dream of what we take to be a solid, permanent sense of self. And you know, we're we're really warriors representing fear. I mean, we, we stand and you know, with our pike 
ready to take on all comers who approach us. You know, so what's our job? It's protection, you know. And, you know, if that's not an acceptable image, then we can reframe it in other more subtle, gentle ways of how we go with the flow or how we harmonize with the universe to protect ourselves. You know, we can use anything, anything, to carve out a moat around ourselves. Clases is the term for the poisons that inflict us or we inflict on ourselves. And as you know, the three basic ones are ignorance, which is fundamentally not understanding what the heck is going on, what reality is, who we are, what we're doing with who we are. It's not understanding the basis of how, who, things are. It's just that. That, of course, that underlies everything else. And attachment or greed or desire. I remember uh, when I heard the second noble truth, uh, desire is the cause of suffering, I kind of rejected it. Because, you know, yeah, I have some desires, but how is that the cause of suffering. I can fulfill them and not fulfill them, and I'm kind of okay with that, as long as it's not dark chocolate. And and a few other things, perhaps. And maybe more than a few other things. And of course, that's, you know, how we might think from an unexamined mind, right? We take in a teaching, which we may not even respect as a teaching. And, you know, compare it to our own understanding of reality in ourself, which we base our life in. So that has a pretty firm foundation, even though, spiritually speaking, it's rooted in quicksand, but we don't buy that. We're kind of getting along okay, and yeah, sometimes life sucks, but, you know. But, of course, when you sit in Zazen, after a while, you see that every thought is actually in some way reflective of a desire, in some subtle way. Because it's subtle, it can take quite a while to, to see this for yourself, to confirm what the Buddha taught about desires and this, the cause of suffering uh, out of your own experience. Uh, and my interpretation, what I often say is the Buddha taught that Every thought, however subtle, is directed towards, away, or out of refusal to look. Sometimes I express it as, I want, I don't want, or I'm numb and dumb. Meaning, I'm pulling the curtain down and we're not going there. End of story. Do you hear me? We're not going there. Which may be, you know, the most obvious because it has so much energy to it. We're not going there. I mean, it really is. uh, You can feel that power, you know, when we say that to ourselves, or someone else says it to ourselves. There's nothing you can do, right? You're not going there. You're not going there. What do you? 
What are you going to do? Force somebody to go there? You can't do that. It doesn't work. It just creates more. I'm not going there. And of course, where we see others, where they say, I'm not going there, is often pretty obvious to us. But me? Maybe not so obvious. Until the suffering that that promotes becomes overwhelmingly enough, overwhelming enough that we begin to, at last, after a long time, consider other options to just walling ourselves off. And so desire, aversion, rest on fear, and fear is protection. And it's protection of our idea of who we are, of a fairly fixed, permanent self. Even if we deny that, even if we say, well, I'm flexible, and I understand you know, the Buddha's teaching that the self is not a fixed thing, but you know, where we actually are requires a closer look. How we actually are requires a closer look, because we all depend on our structured sense of self to navigate our life. It's in place. It needs to be in place. We can't navigate our life without it. And so how do we see through that? See through it deeply. Navigate our life, but not hold, not grasp, not squeeze it. So that as the circumstances of the immediate moment change, as that's what the immediate moment is, changing circumstances, we are changing. We are being those changing circumstances. Our mind has, our being has that flexibility to be in this moment. Well, that sounds easy enough. But what if this moment presents you with something you don't want? something that creates pain for you, a significant health issue or relationship issue, or the memory we've avoided for a long, long time of what happened when, which we may have done or someone else may have acted on us. We do not know in the sense of knowing with the absolute knowledge of our direct experience, who we are, what we are, and what all of this is. We don't know. We will never know. Consider that for a moment, because reality is not anything that is fixed. And so if we are this reality, and yet living out of this persona, Moment to moment, it's changing. I mean, look at your own mind and says, and look at your own mind now. Moment to moment, nonstop change. Listening, thoughts come up. Perhaps assessments and judgments come up. Perhaps associations come up. And just look in the course of sitting in Zazen in the course of an arbitrary time, let's say of a minute. Oh, the journeys I've been on. I wonder if you know who I'm quoting. 
I'll give you a hint. I have a three-year-old grandchild. <laughs> You're going to have to fill that in from there. <laughs> so the, the three poisons and the, the clases, the neuroses that arise out of them, the unrealities, are the roots of our samsaric existence, meaning the roots of how we live. And so Amy Mann says, Oh, for the sake of momentum, I've allowed my fears to get larger than life. And it's brought me to my current agendum. I don't know if that's actually a word, agendum, but it fits, it rhymes. Whereupon I deny fulfillment has yet to arrive. And boy, that's a beautiful summary of life and practice. I mean, we can start with the last line. I deny fulfillment has yes, yet to a lot arrive. When I was um, some time ago, a long time ago, as it turns out, I had a friend who was a very terrific calligrapher. And I was struggling with the tension between that, the teaching that I am whole and complete and, um, and inherently fulfilled by this. And the specifics of this difficulty of me living my life, let alone me living my life with others. Do I have to have those others there? They're getting in my way. Um, anyway, uh, I asked him to do a calligraphy uh, in Japanese, which said, what more do you want? And I hung that <laughs> next to my altar. <laughs> Just as a reminder, what more do you want? And, you know, in Zazen, you can connect with that in a deep and real way. You know, here you are, and in the moment when your mind quiets down and you're present, even though it may not be completely quiet, you're present. You get a sense that there's nothing else other than this. I think you get a sense. I get a sense. I think that's available to everybody. That, that this is the doorway into that wholeness. And of course, in a much deeper sense, as you go deeper into yourself through this practice, then that becomes insight, wisdom. Then that becomes the wholeness of your life and of your being manifested at this moment and reflected in each person that you see. That's the beginning of opening your heart, of seeing the wholeness of each person, starting with yourself. So meanwhile, for the sake of momentum, for the sake of habit, for the sake of familia, for the sake of this is the life we've created, I've allowed my fears to get larger than life. And isn't that interesting? that the fears of anything actually is much larger than the actuality of it when the, what we're fearing comes to pass. I mean, think about it. Suppose you have cancer and a terminal diagnosis. A lot of fear there. A lot of fear before the diagnosis, maybe, of your health and sickness or suspicion of it or waiting for the diagnosis. 
But when you actually are present with it in that moment, and it being whatever your fear is about, what is there? What is there beyond the fear? It's just as it is. Now, of course, we want it not to be there. We want it to go away. But that's another desire. That's, in essence, another demand based on fear. Another non-acceptance of this moment of reality. Well, what happens if you accept this moment of reality? What happens if you let go of that thought? Which will recur over and over, but we have the ability to let go of it. You're present. Right now, you're alive. Right now, you're alive in the midst of that. How will you live right now? (laughs) I remember uh, a, a Zen teacher being the recipient of a complaint of someone who was a very experienced student of uh, being old and their body reflecting that in unpleasant ways. This is a very experienced student, as I said. And the teacher said to that person, did you not know you were going to get old? Did you not understand you're going to die? That's strong medicine. You can place yourself wherever you want in that conversation. And so the implication of that is, what are you going to do now? How are you going to live? Because you're not dead yet. When you're dead, you can worry about it. You can worry about how you'll be dead. But right now you're alive. And hopefully for the next second and the next second and the few next foreseeable seconds, although you never know. Uh, And so given that, What's the plan? (laughs) What are you going to do with it? And so I've allowed my fears to get larger than life, and it's brought me to my current agenda. It's brought me to the place because of your attention and energy and concentration is on your fears. When I say that, it sounds like it's just on my fears, but of course it doesn't work. It's much more subtle than that, right? It's It's a subtle psychological habit pattern that infiltrates pretty much all our thoughts. You know, the more subtly you look at your series of thoughts, the more you can see how subtle fear is and how controlling we want to be of our environment, of our thoughts, of what's around us. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's natural in a sense. It's the first noble truth made large, meaning visible to us. And so now we have power, power in the best sense of the word, to see that, to not be a puppet dancing on the strings of fear, to actually respect what our mind is producing and to be sensitive to the fears and acknowledge them. And, and, you know, our fears need to be respected. They need to be honored, Uh, the things we should be fearful of. But the momentum of them and the karma, to say it another way, of fear is, of course, more thoughts of fears. And so that momentum that she's speaking about of allowed my fears to get larger than life. 
and they are larger than life. You know, a projection of things never matches the direct experience of it. So the sake of momentum, we all know this. I mean, momentum is the life we've created for ourselves. And the way that we accept what has happened to us, I mean, what has happened to us, in a sense, is outside our direct control. And so it's tempting just to sail our little ship of ourself in whatever direction the wind blows without any awareness of our mind. And that's a life of self-disempowerment and defeat. And it's relying on that to hold our life in the frame we've created, in the story we've created, to make sense of it. Well, this happened to me, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I know life is getting shorter and I can't bring myself to set the scene. Even when it's approaching torture, I've got my routine. You know, we're addicts. (laughs) We're addicts of our routine. I mean, we do know life is getting shorter, do we? Is that a reality for us? It is getting shorter, but do we know that? I mean, the evening evening gatha that we say to close the evening, Shaw points it out in a dramatic way, which we can easily relate to and then forget as we walk out the door. But as we age and go along, I mean, we see it in loss. We lose our parents. We lose our friends. If we really have the karma of losing our Children, if we have children, I mean, that's the horror of a parent, to lose your child before you yourself die. Your loved ones, the ones that have made you, made your path viable. So we do certainly encounter that. And if you've been lucky enough not to, well, just hang around a bit. It's inevitable. And one of the reasons I'm grateful for my life is that, I've said this before, I mean, I have no pre-memories of a time without death in my life that I was aware of that when I became conscious because of the circumstances of my life. And that is both a hara and an invitation to awaken. At least that's how I've taken it. That's how I've constructed my story to help me awaken. And that's the point. How do you use your life to help you awaken, to address, because awakening addresses the suffering. The Buddha wasn't making that up. He was pointing directly to that. That's the Eightfold Noble Path, or the equivalent of that. Here's how you address your suffering. Here's what you do. And while what you do, you have to customize for your life and your karma and the changes, it's real. 
So we've got our routines, and we rely on the ballast of those routines for safety. It's what's familiar, and how clearly we see the approaching storm and know the center cannot hold. We're holding on to what we know. We trust our pain. We trust our disappointments. We trust our distance from ourselves because it's also familiar. We know this. We, we're very familiar with it. We've lived it. And anything other than that is to face what is unknown, undefined. And that's a real issue in spiritual practice. There will be times in your practice, and specifically in your zazen, when you're going to come to the edge of yourself and you're going to have to decide in that moment, am I holding on or am I letting go? And my words don't adequately reach it. It's much more subtle than that. The good news is, no matter what you decide, there'll be more moments that you can't use up all your chances as long as you're alive and practicing. And says, and the bad news is, if you make the choice to hold on, well, you got what you got. Now you got more of it. That's your momentum. Oh, for the sake of momentum, even though I agree with that stuff about seizing the day, but I hate to think of effort expended, all those minutes and days and hours I've frittered away. I mean, the challenge of our momentum is that the conditioning is automatic and seamless and mostly invisible. And so, until we see past that conditioning, the automatic responses of our mind, we don't have much of a chance. And we're generally not going to do that voluntarily. You know, in a, in a way, this practice takes us kicking and screaming into the depths of our own mind. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. You know? <laughs> but maybe we have to. And maybe we don't. Your call. I mean, as soon as there's any possibility of a path to fix our suffering, you know, we move right towards it. But this is not about that. It's actually not that difficult to fix the surface level of suffering. We've got lots of ways to do that. You're an expert in that. But what makes the spiritual practice is we're looking at the source of your being our being. Given that we tend to see through the lens of fear, we can look carefully at what we're afraid of and see what's beneath the fear. See what it's freezing. And that's where the wedge of practice, the the ability to stop, just stop, Whatever you think, whatever you project, whatever you worry about, just stop. Stop in your breath. Let it go. Just stop. Let it go. Or be so completely with it 
that it's completely visible to you, which is stopping, which is being it, which is letting it go because there is nothing to hold on to when you see into it like that. It's brought me to my current agendum, whereupon I deny fulfillment has yet to arrive. So this is what we're facing in Zazen practice, allowing that fulfillment can arrive. And each time we see a thought, let it go, and come back to our breath, we're inviting that fulfillment. I think it's one of the reasons that we generally feel better after a day or days or even a period of zazen. Our mind is settled. We've let stuff go. Not necessarily with awareness of the process. And each time we turn the full light of our life, the light of attention to the practice of being aware, we're abandoning the the agenda of Mara. We're abandoning samsara in that moment. Every time we let go, we're abandoning samsara. And the moment's set up. We are reconditioning ourselves. We're going back to the factory <laughs> and swapping out some parts. That's an analogy. Except we're seeing there are no parts. It's whole. But I can't confront the doubts I have. I can't admit that maybe the past was bad. And so for the sake of momentum, I'm condemning the future to death so that it can match the past. I mean, that's pretty depressing. (laughs) But I think it's real. I think there's a reality to it. It's hard to confront our suffering, which is our mind. That's all it is. There's no suffering outside of our mind. That's it. It's hard to confront. But perhaps the habit of not confronting and the ignorance of the possibility of confronting, of seeing, confronting means seeing, can make way to a life where an open-hearted love is possible. That's what the Buddha said. That's the experience of so many people who followed the Buddha's path. It's not an all-or-nothing thing. It's not a door open or a door shut. It's a practice. It's an ongoing effort, acknowledgement of door number one, suffering, attending to door number two, desires, (laughs) opening door number three, the possibility of something else, and then walking through door number four. Amy Mann in another little song says, and believe me, I'm sparing you from singing this. (laughs) It's not what you thought. When you first began it, you got what you want. And now you can hardly stand it, though. By now you know it's not going to stop. 
It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop till you wise up. The Buddha pointed very clearly on how to wise up. It's wonderful news. I mean, it takes what could otherwise be a pretty depressing perspective, the first noble truth, and said, here's how. Here's how to address this. Now, in your particular life, figure it out, how that works for you. It's a recipe, but it's only a recipe. It's not the actual cookie or lasagna or whatever it is you're baking as your life. That's yours. He did point at suffering, and we need to start with what we may be creating out of a fundamental ignorance of who we are and what reality is. But he invited us to realize ourselves and to address it for ourselves and for others. And what's the basis of this? What's the basis of Zazen? It's the direct personal experience of the no-thingness, the emptiness of all things. Our self and all selves. And then from the other side of emptiness, present in all the forms, all the things. All the things that are no things, all the no things that are things. You can't really wrap your head around it. But we can sure experience it. We can sure live out of it. Not as a thought process, not even as an understanding. I don't understand form as emptiness, emptiness is form. But you can see it and you can experience it. You can realize that the form will not hold. It will not hold. Yourself will not hold. That all the momentum that has built up over years, decades, lifetimes can be seen into. And here's how. And creating thereby a very different form of karma or momentum. We all have that momentum of our life. It's brought us here, for example. And so that's the fundamental perspective. Do do you know you have a choice? What kind of momentum do you want to create? And that choice is moment to moment. It's now. Our life is with all beings. And we can live our life with all beings in a way that's loving and kind. And all we have to do is see into our own loving and kind heart. And in a strange and wonderful way, that's not so difficult. And it creates its own momentum, its own joy, its own fearlessness in the midst of fear. And it helps. It helps you and it helps others. Thanks for listening. You can find more Dharma Talks, interviews, and events at zmm.org media. 
While online, please check out the Jizo Project, our multifaceted initiative to make Zen Mountain Monastery more accessible and welcoming to all. Learn about the new Jizo House building and accessibility enhancements to existing facilities that are just two aspects to this exciting endeavor. Find out more and see how you can get involved at zmm.org slash Project. That's J-I-Z-O-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.